Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I want to say at, at the outset of tonight, I always need to be at church, just like the rest of you, but I really needed to be here tonight. It's been a couple of really hard days, and I needed to be here tonight to be in the presence of God with God's people and just to be encouraged by the the worship tonight. God is good. God is good. Genesis, or Genesis, wow. <laughs> oh, Lord, I need your help tonight. Exodus 24. Exodus 24. I've entitled this chapter... The revelation in renewal. The revelation in renewal. We have learned throughout our study of all the word of God, and and especially here in the book of Exodus, that God wants to have a relationship with us where we respond to him, he responds to us, and it just keeps going back and forth. In fact, that's what true worship is. It's We respond to God as he reveals himself, and then he responds to us back and forth. So in this chapter, the people of God are basically recommitting themselves to the Lord. They're rededicating their lives. We we know what that's like. And after that happens, God literally reveals himself in a dramatic, dramatic way. But there's so many wonderful nuggets in this chapter. This chapter, I believe, is the hinge of the book of Exodus. I think that this chapter sort of goes all the way back to the beginning of the book and literally sweeps us to this point and then begins to show us glimpses of what the rest of the book is going to be like because this is the last chapter before we spend the majority of the rest of the book on the tabernacle. The meeting place of God where he meets with his people, where he comes to his people, and where they can, in a sense, reach out as best they can and touch him and experience him and be able to be in his presence. But I want you to notice something in the first couple of verses. And I think that this brings out for us the privilege that we should be grateful for, that we have that they didn't have. Sort of even what Nicole brought up about the fact that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit within us all the time. Notice what it says in the first couple of verses. And this is after the end of chapter 23 where God basically says, don't let those peoples around you influence you. You keep your distance from them, but I'm going to make a way for you to come near to me. Notice, but Moses, to Moses, the Lord said, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel, but notice this phrase, worship from a distance. Oh, mark that in your Bible. 
They had to worship God from a distance because at this point, God had not yet made a way for them to come near. He's holy. You and I don't have to worship God from a distance anymore. We can get as close and as near to God as we want to be. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus' great invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. In the book of Hebrews, let us come confidently and boldly to the throne of grace that we might find help in our time of need. Let us draw near, Hebrews chapter 10, with a heart of full assurance through faith. I mean, today, we don't have to worship God from a distance. So Moses, though alone, God said, may come near the Lord. But the others must not come near, nor may the people go up with him. So again, this is in great contrast to what you and I enjoy today. And every day of our lives, we should thank God and appreciate and be so grateful for the fact that God is so near that literally he sent his spirit to live within us. Can't it get any closer than that? Moses came, verse 3, and told the people all the Lord's words and all the decisions. Now here, I want you to see also in this great chapter an affirmation of the two pillars of our church. Because you will notice here in Exodus 24 an emphasis on the word of God and the worship of God. The word of God and the worship of God. And now you begin to see the prominence here of the word of God. God was speaking to Moses his word. And then Moses was to translate, speak to the people what God was sharing with him. And notice the people's obedient response, verse 3. All the people answered together, we are willing to do all the words that the Lord has said. So then note what Moses did. Moses then, inspired by the Lord, wrote down all the words of the Lord. And this became, I'm going to skip a little bit, but that became in verse 7 what is referred to as the book of the covenant. When Moses wrote down the word of God, it became the book of the covenant. In a sense, it was the beginning of Scripture. The beginning of Scripture is given to us here in Exodus 24. But along with the word of God, notice back up in verse 4, Moses also early in the morning built an altar at the foot of the mountain and arranged 12 standing stones according to the 12 tribes of Israel. What is an altar? It is a place of worship and sacrifice. An altar is a place of worship and sacrifice. In fact, our worship in many ways should be sacrificial. The author of Hebrews again says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. 
giving thanks unto his name. Uh, that is the way we, we don't have to sacrifice animals today, but we can bring into the house of God and into our lives every day a sacrifice of praise. And also within that phrase, sacrifice of praise, there is also a reminder that God is worthy of our praise regardless of how we feel or what our circumstances are. In fact, can I tell you, sometimes I don't feel like worshiping God, but I want to bring him the sacrifice of praise. Because it's not about how I feel, it's not about what's going on in my life or my circumstances, because he is always worthy of our praise always worthy of our praise. Verse 5, he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings. Burnt offerings were the ones that were totally consumed. That's the kind of offering God is looking for from us, that we would put ourselves on the altar and unlike a living sacrifice, instead of crawling off the altar, saying, God, just consume me for your glory and for your honor. Also, part of the offerings that were offered on this altar that Moses built was peace offerings. Now, these offerings weren't to acquire peace. These offerings were to celebrate the peace and fellowship. because God would give his people peace as they worshiped him in the way he revealed he wanted to be worshiped. God does the same thing today. I felt a peace here tonight that I needed to feel in my soul after several days of spiritual warfare and struggle. Thank you, Lord. And nothing like you guys don't go through either, but you're just... Again, being reminded, your pastor's just as human and has just the same kind of struggles you have. We do. But all oh, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And it's a gift. It's not something that we have to work for or earn. God gives us that gift of peace. And maybe some of you need that peace to just settle down upon you tonight. Notice verse 6. Then Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and half of the blood he splashed on the altar. The blood was sanctifying. It was cleansing. It was consecrating the altar of God because God wanted at the very outset of his people learning how to worship him. Because remember, again, God is transforming a group of former slaves into dynamic, devoted worshipers. And God wanted them to know, I am a holy God. And the only way to experience me, engage with me, and enjoy my presence is through sacrifice. Someone or something has got to give up their life in order for you to be able to enjoy this. 
He also took the book of the covenant, read it aloud to the people, and they said again, we are willing to do and obey all that the Lord has spoken. And then notice this dramatic moment. Can you imagine? Not only was the altar splashed with blood, but then Moses took the blood and splashed it on the people. Literally, just splashed it upon the people to sanctify them and set them apart. It was a very real reminder as the blood splattered on them that something had to give up their life in order for them to enjoy this peace with God. It's really, again, great how God fits things together because much of what we're talking about tonight is a great lead-in to Sunday because we're celebrating the Lord's table on Sunday. And much about what we're talking about tonight coincides with what we're going to be doing on Sunday. And then notice this. After he, or as he was splashing it on the people, he said this statement. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Does that not remind you of that night on which he was betrayed when he had that moment with his own disciples and he takes that wine and he says those very same words, this symbolizes the blood of the new covenant. My blood, which I'm going to shed for you, do this in remembrance of me. Same thing. Thousands of years later, Moses is saying it, but it's sort of a harbinger of Jesus, the ultimate Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. It covers it, but it doesn't take it away. Only Jesus can take away sin and cast it into the depth of the sea to remember it no more, to separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. Only Jesus can do that. Give me Jesus. <laughs> I'll take Jesus over a million other sacrifices because the one sacrifice of Jesus covered all of our sin for all time. That's a powerful sacrifice because we've got a powerful Lord. But then notice, as God was seeing his people respond, we are willing, God, we are willing to do, we are willing to offer sacrifices. We are willing to follow your word. Notice what begins to happen, the revelation of God in response to the renewal. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is I hope that this will be an encouragement to all of us that when we press into God, God responds. God reveals more of himself because that's what his desire is. His heart's desire is that he wants us to know more of him and to come closer to him. So every time we make an effort to respond to him in any way, through worship, through the word, through following whatever it is he's asking us to do, God will reveal himself. But can you imagine this revelation? Verse 9. 
Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. They saw God. The Lord appeared to them. It's amazing. Do you know, they saw a visible manifestation of the presence of God. But God tells us, you can see me today too. I mean, one day we will see him, as John said. We are now the children of God, and we don't know all that we will be, but John says when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And that's Christ in us, the hope of glory. One day we will see him face to face, but you guys and gals, we, we can see him now. We can see him now. And he wants us to be able to see him now. Notice this. This this makes this even more dramatic. Under his feet. So you, you almost get the idea that they're seeing this vision, this revelation of God, and they're sort of viewing God from underneath him. Because they're, they're seeing his feet, but then it says underneath his feet, there's something like a, a pavement, a road, and it's made of sapphire, clear like the sky itself. I can't even imagine how beautiful that was. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I, I turn back to the last couple chapters of, of Revelation to just encourage my heart with some of the, some of the scenery of heaven. Oh my golly, the colors, the, it's just amazing. In fact, we're going to be talking more about that next week when we get into the tabernacle. The beauty of God, the creativity of God that comes out. And you're even seeing it in this manifestation of God to his people. But notice also it says, because of his holiness, verse 11, he did not lay a hand on the leaders of Israel. Meaning, it was only because God permitted them to see him in this way. Because remember, the Bible says no one can see God and live. Mm -hmm. We couldn't take in the fullness and the glory of God. We only get glimpses because we're human and we'd be vaporized mm -hmm. if God truly revealed him. So God, even in this glimpse of him, is allowing it, permitting these human beings to lay their eyeballs on the visible manifestation of his presence in some way. And it says again, they saw God. Twice, in verse 10, once, in verse 11, they saw God. But it doesn't end with seeing God. Notice what else they did in his presence, and this is really important because you and I like to eat and drink, right? You know why that's important? Because that's always been with God a sign of fellowship and closeness and communion. It's not just like they're there for like some kind of quick glance. 
God wanted them to come and, in a sense, just sit and be in his presence and sit at his table, so to speak, and enjoy fellowship. That's why it's precious when we have a meal with someone or we sit down and, and, and we engage in a, at a table setting with someone. God always pictures that as a time of intimacy, a time of communion, a, a time of fellowship. And so these folks aren't just seeing God, they're in a sense eating a fellowship meal with the God of the universe. Again, a foreshadowing of the Lord's table where the 12 disciples sat and had a meal with Jesus. In the book of Revelation, it tells us that we could be part of that which is seated at a table and invited to a meal with God. God loves to relate to us in that way because like many cultures today even still, meals aren't something to be rushed through. Meals for God weren't something to be, you just cram the food down and you move on. A meal was a time to hang out. And so God is saying, I'm not just revealing myself to you, I want you to stay here with me. Eat and drink in my presence. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me, and now we go back to the word of God, to the mountain, and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments that I have written so that you may teach them. This is the first reference to those tablets being stone tablets, okay? And no doubt the choice of stone by God had to do with their durability and their permanency, representing those qualities of the law itself, durability and permanency. What did Jesus say? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Durable, permanent stone. But also I believe that these stone tablets were chosen because of them being impressive and weighty, representing, again, qualities associated or inherent in the law. The law is impressive. The law should be weighty. In fact, in just a few verses, verse 16 and verse 17, you're going to see the phrase twice, the glory of the Lord. The word glory in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kabod. It is a word that literally means weighty or to be heavy. When we experience the glory of God, it's like we feel his weight upon us. Not in a negative way, just in a tangible way. He wants to be heavy in our midst. In, in a sense, that's the whole even cloud. He, he wants to be thick so pervasive and so thick that, that we cannot escape his presence. And when the glory of God falls upon a life or upon a church, his weight is there. And it literally weighs over everyone and everything. 
in a good way, in a transformative way. God may be the only person in the universe that always wants to be heavier <laughs> instead of lighter. God literally desires to be heavy in our lives, to be weighty. So God told Moses after he got these tablets to set out with Joshua, verse 13, his attendant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God and he told the elders, wait for us in this place until we return to you. Here and Aaron and her with you, whoever has any matters of dispute can approach them because guess what? Life goes on. There's going to be issues that need to be dealt with, but I'm going to meet with God. So don't miss this. This is sort of the climax now of the entire chapter. Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Moses was surrounded by the glory of God. The glory of the Lord resided on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. It was at this point that I wrote these words in my Bible. Without the presence of God in worship, nothing else matters. What was Moses doing? He was experiencing the presence of God. That's true worship. That's ultimate worship. He was covered in the manifestation of God's presence through this cloud on the mountain. And by the way, notice that the glory of the Lord resided the word also means to, or could be translated, to settle down, to rest, to dwell, to abide. John writes in his gospel, John 1.14, the word became flesh and took up residence, or literally tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and settled down and rested and dwelt and abided with us. That's always God's desire. He's not a God who wants to come in for a quick visit. He wants to come in and camp out and settle his presence in a place I think that's why then Jesus later on uses this same concept of residing, abiding, and dwelling in John 15. And he says, remain in me. Abide in me. Don't, don't treat me as, as something that you just come by every once in a while. Let me be the very center of your life and that all, all, all of you do. Let me be in everything. Let nothing that you do be without partnering with me. Abide, settle down, remain, rest in me. That's always been God's desire. 
On the seventh day, he called to Moses from within the cloud. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just trying to, you know, can you imagine? I, I can't even, I can't even begin to imagine what Moses was experiencing, feeling, thinking. And verse 17, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was also like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in plain view of the people. Couple things. Did you notice that how did God lead his people out of Egypt with what? A pillar of fire and a cloud. It's being repeated here. God is manifesting himself in the same way. Cloud, fire, cloud, fire. Something that the people are already familiar with. That they know this is our God. But notice that Moses writes, God's manifestation of his glory by this fire is a devouring fire. Again, the author of Hebrews picks up on this in Hebrews 12, 29 and says to us, our God is a consuming fire. What's that mean? It simply means this. Because God is holy, there will be a time where anything contrary to the nature of God and that does not align with God will be consumed. And that all that is left in the universe will be with what aligns with God. God will not allow anything to go that does not conform to his nature and his holiness. So he consumes it. In a sense, think of this very practically. That's what God does in our lives. When he moves and he works in our lives, he is looking for those things that should not be there, that does not line up with his nature. And he will consume it. Sometimes he does it in a second or a moment. Other times he does it through process. But God is always working to consume out of our lives the things that shouldn't be there so that we can experience his fullness. His fullness all that he has for us. But then I want you to note this. And the first couple, and and can I tell you, this is why for me, I don't know about you, I reread and I'll read these chapters that I'm teaching on, I can't tell you how many times, because sometimes I see something after the 10th time, 20th time, of reading the same passage of scripture. And it was like this one time I'm reading it in a day and I come to this place where it says, oh, and the glory of the Lord, verse 17, like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain was seen by the people. It was in plain view of the people. In other words, the Israelites witnessed the unspeakable glory of the Lord also for 40 days. Why is that significant? Because in just a few days, those Israelites that experienced the unspeakable vision of the glory of God is going to build a golden calf. It, it reminds us how quickly 
we can turn away from the Lord. It reminds us how quickly we, we can forget who our God is and what we've experienced. These people had 40 days of seeing God manifesting himself on that mountain and it did not permanently affect them. In fact, you know what? We got a minute. Go over to Exodus 32 real quick. Look at verse 7 and 8. God even speaks about this because remember, Jesus notices everything. God notices everything. Exodus 32, 7, the Lord spoke to Moses, go quickly, descend, because your people, because they, they've already built the golden calf, the idol, right? Your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. Notice what God says in verse 8. They have quickly turned aside from the way that I've commanded them. Yeah, I, you got that right. That's where we can be part of some unbelievable experience with God. But if our heart isn't with the Lord and we're not allowing God to truly change our heart, that experience is going to fade real quick. And that's why God doesn't primarily work from one experience to another. He works by his spirit, transforming us from one level of glory to another, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Well, back to the end. Exodus 24, one more thing. Moses, verse 18, went into the cloud, and when he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Again, picture the thickest fog you've ever been in and walking into that fog or that cloud and just letting it just envelop you and wrap around you. That, that's what Moses did. He walked in to the very presence of God. Whew. But I want to leave you with this. Notice how long Moses was in God's presence. 40 days and 40 nights. Why? Because this was more than just about seeing as we saw, the revelation of God. This was about learning to fellowship with God. And the fellowship with God isn't built in a day. Or let me say it this way. The life of fellowship with God, the habit of fellowship with God isn't built in a day. It's day after day after day. It's the cumulative effect of being in God's presence and connecting with him day after day after day. And what do they tell us? You do something for 40 straight days and it will become part of your life. If you can sustain something that long, then it becomes a part of you. So I will encourage you if you've never committed yourself to be in the presence of God and fellowship with him for 40 straight days, do it. Do it. Because after that, you'll just, you won't be able to not do it. 
you'll be like, this is so amazing. I, I can't, I cannot complete my day or let a day go without being in the presence of God. I'm walking into that cloud. I'm walking into that cloud. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the precious time that we've had in your house with you and with your people. Thank you, God, for showing up tonight, for showing up for me, a very frail and feeble human being. But, Lord, you're faithful, and we thank you for that. I pray that this has been an encouragement to everyone here tonight because, Lord, it's the end of a long day. We're tired. We're busy. We've got a lot on our minds and a lot still to do. But, Lord, you're going to see us through every step of the way. But, Lord, may we first make time to walk into the cloud of your presence in our life and spend time with you. Lord, that's what we need desperately more than anything else. Without experiencing your presence in worship, nothing else matters. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.